0: Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. I am so glad to be here this morning. You know why I'm so glad to be here this morning? I came out of the house, just picked up my keys, did not put on a coat, and just walked outside. That's one reason. The other reason is because my wife woke me up at 8 o'clock. She kicked me out of bed at 8 o'clock when I thought it was 7 and so I am just glad to be here on time, barely. So I'm glad to be here. My name is Paul Chihamba, and I'm one of the pastors here at CPC, and um, it's, just, uh, it's just great to, to be part of this series that we're calling Hope. It's, um, it's a series where we're exploring the unique role that Jesus plays in our everyday lives, Jesus, who is the hope of the world. As we journey toward Lent, we journey through Lent towards Jesus' victory over death. As we set our gaze on the cross and and the resurrection, we do so by by reclaiming this thing called hope. John introduced uh, the first two installments of the Hope series, first by defining what hope is and then by, by exploring What it looks like when it seems that hope may be lost. In today's sermon, we're going to be probing the question from from a slightly different angle. We're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And through that lens, we're going to be exploring different aspects of hope. Today, we're going to be focusing on what hope, uh, on the the topic, hope revealed. God gathers us in worship. God, God, God. brings us together, and as he does that, we, we give him glory, we give him worship, we, we, we are doing this in an ongoing, vibrant community of faith, that, and as we do this, one of the things that happens is that you and I become more Christ-like. We, we begin to, to take on the, the attributes of the one that we worship. The more of God's grace, more of God's peace. The more that of of that that we take on, we begin to to take a hold of that, and it begins to, to define our lives. And the text that we're going to be reading today really is is a prayer, a prayer of Paul that he wrote down in a letter. And this letter that he wrote to this church in Ephesus, it was a prayer that I believe he wrote. He prayed numerous times, uh, simply because he wrote it down and made sure that they, this, this church had it. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to read through this prayer with you. And so if you, if you could just allow these words to, to soak over you as we start our time together, here's what he prayed. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that... Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be lifted and filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And in this next part here, I want you to to join me together, and let's read this last portion together, will you? Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Amen? Amen. Here's what what this prayer means. It means, very simply, that God is able. God is able. God is able. Before we go any further, just think about... All the situations, all the the circumstances, the struggles that you face, that that you believe that there's just no possibility, there's just no way, there's no chance, there's no way forward, there's no one who has the ability to figure it out, whether it's in your family or your marriage or work, your career, That, that struggle is way over your head. The good news, my friends, the good news that Paul is teaching us, that he's exhorting us to know, is that God is able. Somebody's here listening here, right? God is able. Good news, yes? Such good news. But, but, but this prayer is not just a reminder of what God can do. It's not just a reminder that God is able. Uh, there are three things that I want to lift up out of this text, if you'll just uh, bear with me here. So the first one is this. Hope is fueled by worship. Hope is fueled by our worship. Paul is actually teaching, he's actually challenging the church to a certain way of, of living. He puts it this way He says, To him, that is to the God who is able, to Him be glory in the church. Glory in the church. It's a funny phrase, isn't it? You may have read this verse before and just kind of passed right by. But what does that mean? What does it actually mean? It's, it's, it's about having. Is it about having great sermons? Is it about having a room full of people that are gathered together? Is it about a certain style of worship or liturgy or or programming? Glory in the church. Paul once wrote uh, to the church in Corinth this. He said, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The question that we have to wrestle with is this. What does this mean? Practically in your, in your life this week, Monday through Friday, what does it actually mean, glory in the church? I know a lot of people who wrestle with this. They, they struggle. There's a lot of, of confusion around this. Um, do, do all for the glory of God. Does, does that mean I'm supposed to, to give God more credit? Like, like he kind of has a weak ego? Is that what it is? He's kind of a, a needy God up there that just needs me to give him more credit for the things that I do. Is, is that what this means? We see a phrase like glory in the church and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how to imagine what that is. So, so I'll just kind of just keep reading. But Paul, Paul's exhorting the church to a certain way of being, one of the, one of the problems with this phrase glory in the church is that it can actually be unclear to us what god 's glory actually is when Moses, when Moses was leading the Israelites uh, towards the promised land out of the w- wilderness, he, he found himself worn down, frustrated, uh, you know uncertain about about how to keep going a, a place that I, I know i 've been in and, and i 'm sure you 've been in as well he made this fairly remarkable statement to God. He said, Show me your glory. God, show me your glory. Next time you're worn down, next time you're burned out, next time you're frustrated, this is the prayer that I want to challenge you to pray. God, show me your glory. Show me who you are. This is really, really important. God's response. To these, to this question here, these profound words is this: He says, "I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you." God's glory is God's goodness. God's glory is His goodness. The writer of Psalms says, "The heavens declare the glory of God." You ever seen a night sky? Maybe you're out in the countryside and and you can peer into the depths of the universe and, you know, you can't help but say, how great is this? Whoever did this is amazing. To glorify God in our lives means that our lives should evoke that kind of a response. Our lives should evoke a similar response that whoever is doing this, whoever did this, whoever did what God is doing in your life is amazing. Listen to how Dallas Willard once put it. I love how he wrote this. He said, to glorify God means to think and act in such a way that the goodness, the greatness, and the beauty of God are constantly obvious to ourselves and to all those around us. It means to live in such a way that when people see us, they think, thank God for God if God would create that kind of a life thank God for God isn't that an interesting phrase glory in the church it means when people see the church they think to themselves thank God for God well now here's the the tricky thing how many people here have actually been in a real church okay that's not a trick question you're in a real church right now okay come on people if you've been in a real church, then, then you're quickly and keenly aware how messy, how broken, how inglorious we are, right? Of course, the apostle Paul wrote and about this, and he, he, he knew all about this. The, the churches that he was planting, the churches that he was encouraging and building up were, were a complete mess, People were incorporating all kinds of uh, pagan rituals into their worship. They were ignoring the needs of the poor. They were abusing alcohol during communion. I mean, sure, the heavens might declare the glory of God, but the church, right? I mean, such a beautiful ocean scene or a mountain vista declares the wonders and the majesties of the glory of God, but a church full of people like me and you. Here's the deal. Glory in the church means God's will and our calling is that the church would glorify God. That when people see and experience Christian community, they, they'll think, thank God for God. That he would create such a place. Which brings us to our question for this morning. and simply this. How do we do this? How do we do this? How, how do we fit all of this into this this box here. We can't do that without God's help. It's clear throughout the New Testament, we can't do this without God's help, without God's grace, without God's power, his mercy, God's transformation. We can't do it without God's help. Which leads me to the, the second point. Hope fueled by worship doesn't just happen. It's cultivated. Cultivated by establishing a pattern of connecting regularly to God. Personally, also through the the encouragement of worship with followers of Jesus. You and me, we may be a mess, but we're in it together. The second part of uh, verse 17 and verse 18. I pray that you... Now, Paul's speaking to the Ephesians. He's also speaking to the church. I pray that you, being rooted and established, rooted and grounded in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to do what? To grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of God. Rooted, grounded, established. Does anybody remember what happened on January 15th, 2009? The headlines read, Miracle on the Hudson. US Airways Flight 1549 took off from LaGuardia Airport, remember this, bound for Charlotte, North Carolina. Two minutes after takeoff, the airplane ran into a flock of geese. Both engines were were disabled. They lost power. The, The plane was heading north over Bronx. Instantly the captain, Chesley Sullenberger, uh, and his co-pilot had to make a whole lot of decisions real fast. They could see one or two small airports nearby, but there was no guarantee that they could make it that far. And likewise, the plane, uh, landing the plane on the New Jersey Turnpike was, was way too risky. And so they only had one option. That was to land on the Hudson River. It's not easy to crash land safely on a river. And in the two or three minutes that they had... Not a long time at all. Before they hit the water, the captain and the co-pilot had to, had to do a whole lot of things. They, they had to shut down the engines. They had to set the right speed so that the plane could, could glide as long as possible without power. They had to, to get the nose of the plane down to maintain speed, but yet get it up again before hitting the water. They, they had to disconnect the autopilot. They had to override the flight management system. They had to, to activate the ditch system that, that seals the valves and the vents to make the airplane waterproof. Most of all, they had to fly and then glide the plane as fast and as sharp as they could and then make a, li- a sharp uh, left-hand turn so that they could come down facing south, going against the flow or with the flow of the, of the uh, Hudson River. They had to straighten the plane from the tilt of the turn so that on landing it would be exactly level. And then finally, they had to get the nose back up again, but not too far up, and land straight and flat on the water. I don't know about you, but I would have been freaking out. I'm just saying. (laughs) There were probably a whole lot of things that they did on that day that we amateurs will never understand. But they did. And as everyone knows, everyone came out safely. Now, so many people describe this incident as a miracle. And at a certain level, I, I really don't want to question that. But for me, the fascinating thing about this whole deal, about this whole thing here, is that it illustrates a truth. And the truth is that you know, many today, many of us may have missed. You can call it the power of, of acquired habits. You might say that it was the result of many years of training and experience. The ancient writers would call it Developing virtues. It's what happens when, when someone has had, has had to make thousands of small decisions requiring effort, requiring concentration, and to do something which is good and right but that doesn't come naturally. Then, on that 101st time, when it really matters, they find that they do what needs to be done. And they do it automatically. That's what it looks like to be rooted, to be grounded. Third point, hope fueled by worship gives courage to face hard things, hard circumstances. Paul's prayer that God could do immeasurably more was written to a church in this city called Ephesus, a city where Paul spent over three years of his life doing ministry more than almost any other place. He was in Ephesus for a reason, and that reason wasn't because it was easy. Listen to what Paul says to, about Ephesus when he's writing to the church in Corinth. He says this, but I will stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work was op- has been opened to me. And then I love how he adds this piece here, and there are many who oppose me. You know, first, uh, as I read through this, it says, well, that seems kind of like a contradiction, doesn't it? You'd think that the door for effective ministry, for effective work, means that, well, the folks who oppose me are no longer there, right? They've taken off. And now there's this clear path, a clear door for effective ministry. But Paul's quite clear being in Ephesus is not going to be easy, it's going to be risky. Ministry in Ephesus is going to take courage, there's going to be a struggle. There could be pain and problems. But, but Paul decided the opportunity to change lives was worth the risk. The opportunity to change lives was worth the risk. What do you think about that? Is the opportunity to change lives worth the risk? If we look back at the history of the early church, if we look at the legacy of the first centuries of the church, the early church was defined by bold risk-taking faith. If you look at this week in front of you and you don't feel that there is a step that you need to take that's going to that's gonna require sheer, raw courage, you may not be hearing what God wants you to do. One of the most common commands in the Bible is don't be afraid. Fear not. Some of you just need to hear those words for you right now. It just needs to pierce into your soul. God has this word for you. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Jesus had to remind his disciples of this day after day after day. Even in situations that were dangerous or life-threatening, he would say, where's your faith? Don't be afraid. It almost seems insensitive. But he was trying to make it clear that that there's a step that needed to be taken. And that it was uh, not to find a place that would protect them from fear or possible danger. The step we need to take most often has to do with courage. You don't have to be afraid. I I sat down with a friend last week to unpack this this idea in a modern context. And I want to invite you to, to listen in on our conversation. Hi Bethany. Hi Paul. I know that that through your work uh, with IJM, uh, you've encountered um, some some pretty challenging situations, some mm. some challenges some heartbreaking situations. But in that, you've seen real hope, okay. uh, and and throughout all that, there's this sense of, of people being able to join together in worship and being able to kind of call on God as the source of their hope. I'd love to hear, maybe you just share a little bit about that, what what does that look like for you?
1: Well, International Justice Mission is an organization that I've actually had the privilege of working with for more than a decade. And what we do in the world is bring rescue to victims of horrific violence, human trafficking, slavery, rape, um, illegal detention, police abuse. And we bring prosecution to the criminals who are committing those abuses. We work with governments all around the world to do that. One of the most important things I've probably learned in the last decade of my life is what it means to worship God in the middle of circumstances that don't make any sense and are really painful. Uh, For IJM, one of our global prayer gatherings a few years ago, um, we had set up the night to invite people into some of the most dark places of suffering in our world. So we had investigators who had undercover cameras that they had taken um, into these very just spiritually and literally dark corridors of um, Kolkata and other red light um, prostitution trafficking areas of the world. And they would go in and um, capture footage of girls, you know, girls as young as five being sold and offered um, on the market to whomever would come and buy them. And you would see the pimps selling them and the girls being forced to act a certain way to try to um, look marketable. And so we had this grainy black and white footage of... Um, our investigators in these narrow corridors and all of these children being sold and then going along the streets and all of the people who are there swarming to um, find people to buy. And we put this up on the screen as people were walking in that night and it was just footage, a B-roll of um, these just devastating images of what is real in the world in regard to suffering. And then we put words up on the screen. It wasn't the statistics about suffering in the world and it wasn't um, an explanation of the images that they were seeing. What it was, was a worship song. So on top of these horrible images, started to scroll this old hymn about how jesus will reign over all the earth (laughs) and so we all come in and we're looking at these pictures of what looks like defeat (laughs) and we're standing up and we're called to sing together the truth of victory in jesus and to call out hope and to proclaim hope over the reality of darkness. And I think that'll stick with me for the rest of my life because that's, I think that's such a picture of what worship is. It's proclaiming who God is despite whatever reality of suffering we might be seeing. And proclaim what God is able to do, even when we feel totally powerless.
0: Right. Well, and because the reality is, right there, there are people sitting in the pews at CPC who are living in their own darkness, right. in their own uh, state of of despair, and feel deeply if, alone. Exactly, in it. exactly. Right. So, regardless of whether it's in Calcutta or in Edina, exactly. <laughs> there is that sense in which we. Understand and need need to grasp the, the fact that that worship is is what draws us and refocuses and recalibrates our sense of belonging to Christ and belonging to each other. And I think that's 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 been key for me um, as a as you know I'm a professional. Um, you know, preacher guy, right? Right. <laughs> right. And, and yet, I think you know, like everybody else, I grapple with and I struggle with that sense of, but you know, what is this all about at the end of the day? Um, and it's that that weekend experience. Mm. Not that it can only happen in the weekend, but for me, consistent, consistently, it is when I gather together with other right. believers that that I remember who I am, right? And I remember who we are. Right. And remember most importantly, you know who he is, right, um, and who he is and what 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 that um, ultimately uh, means.
1: I don't know. Sometimes when it comes time to go, you know, get the kids out the door or whatever it takes to actually go be and worship with other people, there's this sense of like, oh, it's I, there's so many things going on and everyone's melting down and it's just too much of a pain to even get to church and you know and it's easy to have this amnesia about what can happen once we actually get there Um, but being together with other believers and worshiping God there are more times than I could ever count where it's just like this transformation as you leave and as you go into the rest of the day or the week or wherever you might have been coming from, but there's this great power of coming to a place with other believers and being encouraged and spurred on and and having just our minds and our whole spirits transformed Mm -hmm. by meeting with them.
0: Amen. Some of you know that uh, yesterday marked the 50th anniversary of what became known as Bloody Sunday, when 600 marchers attempted to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge in protest of the denial of uh, practical implementation of voting rights for, for African Americans, for blacks in this country. Uh, last week, I, uh, I had the privilege of traveling with about 40 uh, Christian leaders uh, from around the country of different races, and, um, and we drove on a bus, from Chicago, to Birmingham, to Montgomery, to Selma, through Mississippi, and on to Memphis. And throughout that experience, I heard stories of courageous men, women, children, lots of kids who were fearless in the face of water cannons and vicious dogs and hate-filled, angry mobs who In dehumanizing others, lost the sense of their own humanity. Throughout this journey of remembrance, what struck me over and over and over again was this this constant refrain, as if it was plucked straight from the pages of Scripture itself. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus, speaking to to his followers, he said this. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace, but take courage, take heart, for I've overcome the world. John, speaking to, to the early believers of his day, wrote, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because... The one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. And as I read these words, as I meditate on these words, uh, I, um, I'm reminded of, of this unbroken chain of, of the story of God and the story of God's people who, who've taken this to heart and who've believed it with their whole heart in the hope of the resurrection. Whether it's, uh, it's Paul writing uh, to the Ephesians from a, a Roman prison cell, or, or, or Martin writing from the confines of a jail in Birmingham. The message is still the same. Jesus will be glorified. I wonder what that means for you this morning. I wonder what, what that means in your life. Maybe it means something like, like, I'm going to take a risk that God, God could do something powerful in my life. That God could do something powerful in my marriage, in my family. Maybe it means for you, I'm going to, I'm going to take a risk that, that God can provide for me if I, if I start to live with, with more generosity and openness. Maybe it means something like like I'm going to take a risk that God can, can heal me and, and change me and, and transform me if I just would share or ask for help with something that's really going on that, that I need to ask help with. Faith takes courage. Faith requires courage. And guess what? God shows up. There's glory in the church, friends. This, this this is the truth of the matter. Is there is glory in the church? The good news is that there is glory, not just in creation, not just in the splendor of the stars in the sky, but there is glory in the church. And as we sense this challenge, as as you sense this challenge on your heart, in however God's speaking to you, here is the good news. This glory in the church is not just an obligation because, because what Jesus did on the cross, it's, it's a promise. It's a promise. There's, there's going to be glory in the church. He promises that. There's going to be glory in your life. He can take whatever you're facing, whatever, whatever your, uh, your situation is, wherever you're at, whatever the circumstance, whatever the struggle. There's going to be glory in the church. There's going to be glory. It means, it means that Jesus works in your life. He's so committed to you. He's so faithful that, that you're going to be the greatest display of God's redemption and transformation that there is. That's what it means, that there is glory in the church. When, when people see you, when they see your life, because of what the, what work God has done, Christ has done, because of the work that He's done, you're surrendering to Him, committing to Him. People will look at you and they'll say, Thank God for God. They'll worship him because of who he is, of who he really is. Praise God. You know, one of the, 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 the things that, that was recurring throughout that trip that we took was, was this sense of worship throughout. The hardest circumstances that you can imagine. And throughout there, there was this, this soundtrack The soundtrack of the glory of God, whether it was Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, or Amazing Grace. The soundtrack of hope is that God reigns. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound, sing with me, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Jesus, you're so deeply committed to us that you've promised us there will be glory even in this place. In spite of all the sin, all, in spite of all the brokenness and pain and struggle that we bring, in spite of all the ways that we live in glorious lives, myself included at the top of that list, God, You've made us a promise. There's going to be glory. Jesus, we pray now through your grace that we'd hold fast to, to these commitments, stay true to the gospel, to be committed to our neighbors, to, to live bold, courageous faith, to walk through conflict with your character. God, we just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Yeah.